Welcome to the Deconstructing Data Podcast. We are back. Um, how's it going, David? Uh, it's going well. Um, you know, with, we, we missed a couple of weeks, but I'm glad to be back. And, uh, you know, we have a great guest today. So I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. And as our titles say, I'm Jesse Lezak, fractional CMO at BDEX. And then, of course, he's David Finkelstein, founder and CEO at BDEX. And we are very excited to... Welcome in our guest, and I will go ahead and um, kick us off by um, just giving a brief intro. So Ivan is the Chief Business Officer of InfoBIP. He is in charge of setting company strategy, direction, developing and delivering new business growth and overseeing functions in charge of exponentially scaling InfoBIP's growth. And let's go ahead and bring him in. Hi, Ivan. Thanks for joining us. Hi, uh, thank you for having me. And could you please tell us how to pronounce your last name? Postage. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. Yes, I wasn't going to try. Perfect. Uh, well, Ivan, we're so glad to have you here today and appreciate you coming and joining us on the show. Um, what time is it where you are? It's 10.15 p.m. All right. Well, <laughs> we appreciate you staying up late for us. Um, but we'd love to have you kick this whole thing off and uh, tell us a little bit about your background, your history, how you got to InfoBIP and, and tell our audience a little bit more about InfoBIP uh, so they can learn. Yeah, so um, I'm, um, as you said, Chief Business Officer at InfoBIP. Um, my background is like uh, in science and technology, I have to say. So I kind of have a double degree, a PhD in life science and then um master's in technology management from Swiss Federal Institute of Technology. And I had an interesting path. So I, I did, I always kind of did a, a, a double major, if I can say. So I, I did a lot of work in healthcare, but at the same time, I did a lot of work in, in technology. So after I graduated from ETH, I had my own startups with, startup with few friends. And then, um, you know, everybody found jobs somewhere else. Um, and then I joined uh, McKinsey. So Within McKinsey, I was working within innovation practice, business building practice, so partnering with companies to build new businesses over long term. And then um, I worked on a lot of kind of AI advanced analytics projects with either tech companies or particularly with life science companies. And uh, during the course of my career, I met the founders of InfoBIP and I felt in love in um, InfoBIP's story. InfoBIP is a company that was founded in 2006 with the purpose to democratize um, future of digital interactions between businesses and people. And what we do is um, we're kind of one-stop shop for um, any communication channel you can imagine, and as well as for customer engagement. We have the philosophy of a full-stack platform, and um, you know we connect world of infrastructure, so telcos, data centers. We have two, uh, 42 data centers, 40 are in private cloud, to our partnership with Microsoft, and then communication channels, advanced platform capabilities, and magnitude of customer engagement tools like um, CDP, customer journey builder, contact center, um, chatbot builder, chatbot that includes also Gen AI. And then uh, now we just launched the product that is called Experiences that help help businesses build um, customer journeys within um, favorite channels of their consumers. 
And with that said, just a couple of more things about Infobip. I think it's good for audience to know um, since we are not the big marketing machine. Uh, Infobip is um, uh, uh, was founded in 2006. Um, we were kind of one of the first company to do business-to-person messaging, and we bootstrapped the company to billion-dollar revenue um, with no external investment. And at the time, we kind of acquired um, raised capital to acquire. Uh, two companies in the United States to expand our uh, presence, open market, and after that, peerless network. And we are building up from there. Um, today, we are present in 77 countries around the world physically with our offices. We operate in 190 countries. And uh, last year, we reached around two-thirds of all mobile devices in the world, around 7 billion so that's just some some data points about Infobip. And we are serving some of the biggest innovators in the uh, world, like Uber or Microsoft and so forth. So we're very proud of that. Very cool. Yeah, that's awesome. That's amazing. And it's an amazing company for sure. Um, and the growth track is amazing. Um, so, you know, we, we have sort of an agenda today where we wanted to talk a little bit about a few different topics. And so let's kick off the first one data and analytics in the intersection of AI. We would love to hear your thoughts there because obviously AI is on every tip of everybody's minds these days. Um, and as you know, um, we can't do AI without data. So uh, I think that there is a lot to talk about when you're talking about this intersection and would love to hear your, your thoughts on it. Yeah, so I think we're a bit in a, I, I, I've done a lot of work. Um, I was um, a co-founder of, of McKinsey's Technology Council with, with one of my colleagues colleague um, and uh, you know I did try to kind of look a little bit ahead what will happen with technology so I would say we're a bit in a hype cycle but I think this one is real I, I, I think we will see a lot of productivity um, coming out of the latest um, technologies especially generative AI that everybody's talking about I think we didn't see that um, last five or 10 years with advanced analytics, it didn't turn much into productivity improvement, but I think we are on to something now. Now, in order for this to turn into real value for the business, as you say, we really need to have good data because as people say, junk in, junk out. If if you have, even if, if you have a good data sample and you're missing something, you can you can do synthetic data, but without the good data, it's, it's going to be impossible. And especially in our business where we are working with the customer engagement, a, pri a primary data of your customers with aggregation of other data system will unlock huge value. Without that, I think um, nothing will be possible. And then, you know, analytics, I think we'll have various models of analytics and uh, starting from, you know, ability to, to segment customers in more sophisticated way even to the extent to generate digital twins of these customers so we can simulate which tactics and actions will, will result in best uh, outcome. Then uh, the, second, uh, the second thing is, um, uh, you know, uh, recommender algorithms that could then, based on this data, recommend what's the next, next best action, something to do, or that will build engagement flow, automatically build engagement flows and then the third thing is is based on the on the on the large amount of past data, you know we can train sort of Gen AI algorithms to give best answers, to produce best content, to produce personalized content, 
uh, and so forth and so forth. So I think with a myriad of analytics algorithms, but also methods, you know, something like machine learning ops became popular just in the last few years, where we can, you know, think of um, advanced analytics more as a kind of a standardized software process, as well as, you know, with generative AI and so hopefully soon enough, something that we coined the term software 2.0 algorithms writing themselves. I think we'll see a big unleash of, um, you know, use cases. So we have higher supply of data, uh, technology opportunities uh, or technology methods are exploding at the same time. I expect that that will result in, in myriad of use cases, companies, tools. And finally, people will need to integrate that into their workflows or, or their customer engagement strategies in order to extract value. And that's where most businesses are today experimenting. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, we had, it's funny, we had a conversation um, probably about a year ago on this podcast. So it was before OpenAI and ChatGPT. And we were talking about the future of, you know, software development and the, the possibility of being able to use AI to, to, you know, write software for you. And at the time we were like, yeah, you know, someday that'll, that'll come to fruition, but that someday is, is already here, right? I mean, it, it's amazing how quickly things can, can move um, in this industry. And so I think that, you know, I always say it, it has a lot to do with, you know, the, the ability today to manage large amounts of data, um, you know, in a cost-effective manner, both, you know, storing and processing, which really couldn't be done even 10 years ago. And so I think that has a lot to do with it. And, and it's, it's getting, you know, uh, even propagated more and more uh, because of that. And it's only going to grow even, even further because of that as well. Yeah. And, and David, I just want to comment a couple of things. I mean, my biggest conclusion from kind of analyzing technology is it's, it's not just in single one technology um, that's enabling this. And I'll give an example. It's at the intersect of multiple technologies coming together today that's accelerating adoption. So it's almost like if you take um, a football analogy, the whole team is playing. So one person would score the goal. But in principle, if we didn't have cloud emerging so fast, you wouldn't have such a fast adoption of AI. And um, if you wouldn't have things that that your company does you know to, to bring all the data together to extract the value and, and to connect the analytics um, algorithms would be much more difficult and much more time consuming and I would say you know just five years ago let's say you would need a big um, tech consulting firm to work for you for I don't know two three years to build <laughs> The yeah. data lake, the algorithms and everything. And today, you know, with the tools we have, even like um, the fantastic things you're doing, you can do like these kind of things. You can move from idea to like having deployed algorithms within months, um, not years. So, and, and not such a big, like, let's say workforce. So it's really impressive to see that kind of shift. But it's also like we, we should never forget it's kind of combination of multiple technologies, computing power, cloud, that's enabling us now to see this explosion at the front end. Absolutely. 100% agree. And, and it was only just, you know, over the past few years, 
where only the largest companies, right? I mean, Google and Amazon and Facebook, these are the companies that were using some form of AI or ML within their platforms because they had the deep pockets to be able to do it. And today with that emergence, like you said, and, and all of these things coming together, um, you know, the capabilities become more democratized and, and it becomes available to, you know, to just about anybody. And, and I think that once those, when that emergence happens and, and now it's available to, to anybody, that's when you see this sort of incredible growth, right? Because now you have, yes. you know, not a limited number of companies and a limited number of minds that can be put together to create these new and amazing things. But now millions of people all around the world have access to the, this capabilities. So now you're having all of these incredible minds from all over the world coming up with ideas every day. Uh, on how to how to use this and the the technologies at their fingertips, so they can actually you know not just have an idea, but actually you know act on it and, and have the ability to correct. And I would also add, like especially with AI, you know, you have kind of positive feedback loop, right? They're trying things, you know, the algorithms are being improved and the knowledge is shared openly, so it's self almost self propagating to an extent. Absolutely. And speaking of technology at our fingertips, as David was saying too, um, chatbots, I feel like any AI, um, I, in terms of AI and what I'd used as a marketer, chatbots were really one of the first things that I was exposed to. Um, so could you kick us off, um, Ivan, and talk to us a little bit about chatbots, chatbots and CX? Yes, actually, this is the topic I'm extremely excited because we have a product in our stack and we're combining it with AI. Even more, we're sort of um, personalizing um, or productizing some of the use cases in different verticals. So, so I mean, in principle, um, in the past, you know, chatbot was, and we did quite a bit of research, was really associated with, let's call it bad customer experience because, you know, we've seen so many bad bots However, ChatGPT made us reimagine what the bots can do. So when you can have conversation close to human type of conversation, people are like, wow, uh, this is amazing. And so uh, I think, you know, uh, bots or technologies based on bots and few other things are becoming critical for customer experience. In some cases, this will be, or these are, sort of bots that you can converse with. But there is also this saying um, in our industry, tap, do not type, which means you know some of these rule-based bots or, or flows are also quite helpful for the things that people want to execute fast. And so we've seen deployments of bots or technologies and use cases based on bots across the full value chain of the customer. In, or consumer, including marketing for lead generation. So, for example, we worked with Dior um, and um, you know global influencer Jisoo, who invited people to join her group um, or her chat group in WhatsApp. So she would educate them about new Dior products and underlying that use case were bot technologies. But she was it was amazing engagement. We had like um, almost ninety percent of people going through full flow over five days, seeing videos, clicking on things that created many opportunities for you know, selling products. 
then um, you have uh, bots in conversational commerce. So for example, uh, you know, there are magnitude of cases where we work with retailers to build uh, commerce flows within um, chat apps like WhatsApp or um, uh, Google RCS where people could kind of buy product or for telcos where they can top up uh, their mobile subscription and so forth. And then the final thing is uh, in customer support, um, these kind of um, experiences based on bots that can escalate to live human chat, that can escalate to call. In some of our clients where we implemented this, they led to amazing results. So we've seen 30% of cost reduction and several folds increase in net promoter score because all of a sudden customers had 24-7 support that would give sensible answers to people. Uh, or if they cannot give an answer, do a failover within the channel where they approached the company to an agent that could either type or call. So um, this explosion in over a recent period is really amazing, but the business results we are seeing are even more impressive than just the technology itself. Yeah, it's a really good point. I mean, that's an important part of this whole thing is like, I mean, it's not just creating something for the point of creating it. It's, you know, there needs to be uh, a business purpose. And, uh, and ultimately, a lot of times, you know, that business purpose is, you know, it's circled around, you know, uh, a financial aspect of it, you know, trying to save money, and, you know, trying to improve profits or, or, you know, improve revenue and sales. So, you know, understanding what that business purpose is and, and, and building, uh, you know, a, a case around how do we create this, you know, this bot or this user experience or whatever it is so that we can, you know, get that end goal is, is ultimately what's happening. And, you know, that's, that's incredible. I mean, it's something that, you know, you literally just couldn't do just just a few years ago. So it's something that actually I've seen done really well on. Um, the company that I've seen do the best, uh, from my experience at least, was uh, Xfinity, which is like you know the cable um, company uh, division of Comcast or whatever. And you know they have actually just an amazing app where you can just have a conversation. Uh, their app actually has very little functionality in it. The whole app is really just about chatting, and like there's nowhere to click to go and see your account information. You. You ask it for your account information. You ask it to see a bill and you ask to see, um, you know, something related to your service or if you have a problem with your service or anything like that. So like 90% of the app is, is just the chat itself. Yeah, and I expect that this will get so good with like magnitude of data training LLMs, um, uh, you know, on this data and so forth that, um, this will get so good that people will almost feel like, you know, they won't make a big difference whether it's um, it's a machine at the front end or a human in a way when they're talking. And when they have that seamless experience, then we'll know we are at the prime because then we can do a lot of automation, right? Like, and it'll be seamless handover between the agent and the bot and vice versa. I think we're not fully there yet, but we're coming closer and closer because the answers now are really well articulated. Um, and, uh, you know, with more data and more kind of um, uh, this reinforcement feedback loop that I mentioned, um, these algorithms will, 
will get better. And then it's also, you know, these, we've done recently like a, a kind of a campaign for, for a organic flower delivery bloomsy box in US. And it's also, we've seen interesting things um, that, that led to huge conversion is when you combine tapping gamification because they did some quiz for Mother's Day so then you could get the bouquet of flowers and then and then you know generative AI we, we allowed people to generate a card for their mother if they want to through gen AI I mean we saw amazing results like like more than uh, 70 percent of people completed a, a full flow that entered the flow and that's like almost unseen with some numbers so really kind of with those um um, you know, with those kind of um, additional elements like gamification and so forth, I think we'll be able even to upgrade um, the experiences that you have just from chatting. Absolutely. And improving the customer journey, I'm sure, which kind of goes right into the next topic. So how generative AI is transforming the customer journey. Could you kick us off here, Ivan? Yeah. So, um I think, um, you know, we already touched on that, so not to repeat myself, but I, I believe it's really uh, maybe three major things that I can mention. So first one is learning about the customer and generating optimal engagement flows. And that's kind of more on a macro level. So, so what's the appropriate sequence? Uh, and so forth. The second one is actually interestingly in, in content generation. So whether it's, you know, videos, pictures that are personalized to that customer or answers to certain questions, like I mentioned before, Bloomsy, you know, like generating card or, or customer support. We're working with the digital insurance where we are sort of using Gen AI to answer the most common questions. I mean, that's the kind of the second one, and then the third one is sort of a direct interactions on the front end with um, with customer where, where bot is handling the customer request. Because in the second one, where I mentioned this digital insurance and Gen AI, the answers are being generated for the agent and they can decide whether they click or not. But the third example where we are also working with another company is like really having a Gen AI at the front end, controlling the, the customer experience to some extent. I mean, that... There, people are more cautious. We've, we used um, some safeguards in use of this technology, the session-based intelligence and so forth uh, in the pilots that we conducted because you never know, you know when the algorithm will hallucinate. So we need to be a little bit cautious for, for, let's say, more advanced applications. Or we had recently a case in healthcare where the recommendations were essentially wrong. We were not involved in this, but it, there was a, in American media... Uh, there was a case. I mean, we need to put some safeguard on the third level, but definitely first and the second. I think people are already um, starting to use that at scale. So uh, that's in principle the three areas where I see the biggest pro uh, progress of using Gen AI um, in CX. Yeah, people are expecting that 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 sort of conversation to you know to be a little more helpful, more useful than it was in the past, and I, I feel like. You know, you know, even now there, there's some sites that you can go to and, and you get a chatbot and you realize very quickly that this chatbot's not going to be able to answer your question. And you're like, OK, how do I get to a representative so I can actually get an answer, a qu my question answered? But I think that we're not far, far off from what you're describing, where where, the, you know, where the AI can 
you know, we'll be able to answer most of the, the customers' questions. Um, yeah. No, absolutely. We're actually interesting. We're working with a couple of clients where within our flow builder, we have Gen AI and they're handling uh, mainly today kind of FAQ type of um, questions and some sort of customer support that are um, um, based on um, on the data or, or website or PDF whatever they load in the algorithm. And I can tell you the answers are pretty sensible. And we also made algorithms that give you references, take you to the pages and so forth. So, so actually we are not very far. Yes. Where we are still kind of trying to patch the technology or do something is, is generating based on the answer, generating sort of almost more complex flows, uh, clickable flows and so forth. Um, that is taking a little bit of time. That's also subject of research, but. I don't expect we'll be very far from the moment when we will be able even to do that. So it's a pretty big revolution, I have to say. Absolutely. So um, anything else either of you want to add on this topic of how generative AI is transforming the customer journey? I mean, the only other thing I would add, the only other thing I would add is that, you know, it'll be interesting to see how we can then take that to the next level and, and tie that data, that conversation into the, um, you know, in, into the, the CDP itself. And so that, you know, the, we can actually act on some of the, those things that are happening in that conversation. Like maybe in the conversation, someone mentions, you know, something that is related to another product that the company has. And so that can provoke, you know, some, you know, information going out to that consumer, an email or whatever it is, or an SMS going to that consumer that's relative to this other, you know, product that, uh, you know, so you're essentially having the AI and the, the, the chat actually, you know, handle an upsell situation or something like that as well. No, that's absolutely a fantastic point, I have to say, because that's what I maybe to decompose a little bit. That's what I meant with a little bit more complex flows based on the answer. Because indeed, right, like you need to then um, recognize the intent. And with that intent, you need to, you know, generate some sort of a call to action. As you said, exactly. If somebody mentioned certain product, you could kind of say, hey, would you like to buy this product or continue the conversation? So that that's that's pretty revolutionary. I think also going to customer support, what, what um, it's also very interesting is like, People usually have hours and hours of, of phone recordings and stuff like that when the customer calls the support center. But I bet we all had the experiences. We're calling support center and then there was another agent that you need to repeat everything hmm. you said before. Yeah. I think now with Gen AI, um, actually there are algorithms that can summarize phone calls or video calls. So in principle, what you could do is to the when there is a next customer call of that customer, could give a very quick summary of previous conversations to the agent in the, in a bulleted form so they can like almost like read oh okay i know the history like within i don't know 30 seconds of this customer and so they the conversation will feel more as evolution of various conversation and will feel more personalized i i think that's also very soon going to be possible and we are experimenting with that i can't well. wait for that I can't wait for that. That's one of my biggest frustrations, right? <laughs> you have a conversation with somebody and next thing you know, oh, well, yeah. I have to pass you on to someone else and support whatever for whatever the reason. And now you have to go through the whole story again and explain exactly, you know, <laughs> what the problem is. And it's so frustrating, right? 
So uh, exactly. yeah, I can't wait till that's a, that uh, uh, capability is uh, is available, and and I hope everybody, well, every company takes advantage of that because that's going <laughs> to a lot of stress from a lot of people. Yeah, no, really, our vision is really to, uh, I mean, we and others, and it's really to kind of make this conversation like the one you described really feel natural, like like talking to a to a butcher down the road or or a florist. You know, like next time, first time you say something, next time you see the person feels like continuation of the conversation. If we can translate that into digital experience, that will make CX so much better. Absolutely. I have to ask, Ivan, um, earlier you were mentioning, you know, how it's how AI is transforming content creation and you mentioned video. So I guess I'm curious in both of your opinions on um, using AI video at this point. Like, have you seen some of those videos on TikTok that are made of AI? Yeah, no, I've, I've seen them. I mean, um, it's it's pretty impressive where, where that's going. Um, I mean, of course, there is like positive and negative thing of every technology. And we are absolutely advocating ethical use of technology and... Um, I think the industry has to be conscious that certain things will be misused. So also some guardrails, how it's being used, but, but, you know, when it's used good, you can really create like hyper-personalized videos that, you know, um, stimulate action. Uh, and, um, at some point, although I don't know if you want a human touch, you want a human touch, but you know, you could, you could generate synthetic videos, <laughs> of an agent in a way, if that feels more <laughs> natural. Um, I mean, I've seen some of the synthetic videos and actually they're not they're not that bad. And I've seen, as you said, on TikTok or YouTube, but um, you know, we need to also see because um, I, we shouldn't forget human to human interactions. I, th I think all of these techn technologies, including the video is really, um, the way I see it is, is, is you know, taking off transactional work that people were bored to do, um, shortening time to get um, resolution or, or to go to action. And that all will free up time uh, for more humanly things, more emotional things. That That's how I really see it. And now going back to your question of a video, I think it can be extremely useful as kind of enrichment of the communication to our customers to stimulate certain actions and so forth. Um, and I think, uh, you know, it, it, it can be also useful for automation of, of some things, but eventually, you know, some, some things will have to stay um, human in a way. <laughs> I've seen this company and maybe there's a couple of companies that are doing that are doing these sales videos where you can like record yourself, you know, sending like a sales email to somebody, you know, and you, you send it as a video um, and you record it once. Um, but it then changes the way your lips move for different names. So like you can then, you know, send it to a thousand people and not record a thousand videos. You record it once and it, it somehow changes if, if you're going to say Ivan or if you're going to say Jesse or if you're going to say David, it moves your lips to, you know, <laughs> to that name somehow. And it, it looks pretty good. You know? <laughs> it's a pretty good job. So it makes it look like it's a personalized video sent, you know, directly to that person. Uh, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, and I've also honestly, I've also seen like applications where 
uh, sort of, um, you know, like now it's evening here and uh, in Europe and, you know, the lights are not great, but it could actually almost kind of um, change uh, the environment in which you are, like virtual environments, and then also change, um, you know, how your head looks toward camera and eyes and so forth. And um, I think that's also an interesting <laughs> interesting application. It's like backgrounds um, that today exist in many, many kind of video conferencing apps, but on steroids where they'll like be able to kind of look pretty natural. So those things are probably also useful. Now, when you're calling a call center and you want to talk to person and there is like a robot on the other side, I, I don't know if that's the greatest experience. I think what you mentioned with like automating and personalizing some sales messages or some of kind of consumer engagement videos, that's actually great. But I think, I think you know, at some point we'll need to really hand over to human and so that the analytics be becomes augmenting what, what people do and not like really artificial. Definitely. All right. Well, with that being said, let's move on to our last topic, which we ask all of our guests on deconstructing data. You know, what are some of your favorite tools that you and your team use? Like software tools in your tech stack? Um, so uh, that's uh, for us, it's a little bit of a call it difficult question because, um, you know, we drink our own, uh, own pills. So in our marketing, uh, we are actually using our own stack. But I have to say that um, I'll pick a couple of tools. So one is um, actually what we integrate in our stack and we're gladly using, we're working with good data to actually have a full journey analytics um, coming out of our products and kind of understanding if we launch certain messaging campaigns, how are they converting and where are they going and so forth. So that's, that's one, I don't know if you can call it tool. I mean, the company kind of made the tool, tools together with us. And the other one is actually range of honestly Gen AI tools. Um, we've we have been working with this much before the hype, but there are tools for you know um, SEM optimization. There are tools for um, content generation. Although we are very cautious that humans are always changing, but it accelerates them. Uh, and then there are tools where you can kind of draw with your hand certain designs. And then the Gen AI will, will kind of trans transfer it quickly into full design. I think our marketing teams, for example, are, are using some of these tools already um, at scale. And maybe I stopped with those three because I could start counting. We, were, we are actually testing systematically uh, various tools and, um, and you know, deploying some that we, that we see value in. But like, as I said, the most deployed ones are like um, sort of um, help with, with content uh, generation help with like um, SEM optimization and then um, uh, more the tools that are like, um, you know, you can hand draw and then they will make either elements of the slides or other design elements based on your hand drawing. Uh, these are also Gen AI tools. Awesome. Very cool. Well, I tagged the InfoBit tools in the um, comments. So if anyone watching is interested, who's watching the video at least, they can see it there. Um, but you know, now I guess we have time for our post-topic questions. Um, so if you could go back when you first came into this industry, what is the first, the number one thing you would, you know, advise yourself, um, if you knew then what you know now? Um, 
to be more aggressive on disruptive innovation. So, so you know, um, I, I, I give why I said this. So, so um, I knew about JNAI much before the hype, and this were like months and months before the hype. Um, and you know, we already started playing with it for various there were tools like for marketing and other tools. So we were kind of experimenting. Um, and this was almost a year before the hype. And then I, I met somebody who was really deep in this topic. And this person was telling me how they kind of uh, use Gen AI to di digest FAQ and to expose that, um, you know, uh, in order to answer some commonly asked questions by a machine. And I got very intrigued with it. Um, and we wanted to get in touch with um, OpenAI, like, how. Can we maybe kind of see how can we do, do that and deploy this technology and try? And then, you know, all the business as usual kicked in. And so we were a little bit slow. Um, I think I think in the early stages of technologies, everything is about trying and learning. So in that sense, you know, I, I felt that, you know, we were a bit more pushy and aggressive to try earlier. We would, we would, we would be um, uh, having big insights far ahead of the hype. Uh, we are not behind. We're actually uh, leading the launch series of products soon. We were playing with it, but we could have been more aggressive at scale, even just over down internal processes, you know, transforming them and automating them. So that's that's one advice I would give to myself. Very good. Jesse, you're on mute. Ah, were you going to say something on that, David? Uh, no, I, I would just comment that that's very good. It's uh, it, it, it's, uh, you know, it's always interesting looking back and trying to give yourself and you know, think of what advice you would give yourself. And, uh, um, you know, for sure, people usually are either tentative about moving forward with something that that seems experimental um, or on the other hand, just get, you know, get busy with with the day to day. And, and there's so many other things to yeah. to do. So it, it certainly makes sense. And it's understandable um, the situation you described, Ivan, and uh, we've all been there for sure. <laughs> yeah, you need to keep some capacity for people to play with um, emerging technologies. I think every organization should do that. But you need to know, you know, when is this for scale and when is this for learning? Definitely. Yes. And failing is okay, right? Because that's when we learn the most. But um, going off that, are there any lessons you've learned along the way or from the past, um, any past jobs or, you know, this current position that you think everyone should know? Oh, man, many. Um, you know, um, I, I think um, I'll, I'll maybe single out a few. So one is when I started um, my career, I was over-indexing um, sort of technical expertise. I thought you can't do any job if you're like not very deep technically. Um, I, I learned, um, you know, over the course of my career that you know, there are many transferable skills um, that you can deploy and that also uh, you, being able to connect things that you learned, let's say in one industry and one technology have a huge value because you can start seeing patterns and translating things between one and the other. And then, and then uh, related to that, it's really openness for feedback and learning that's extremely critical um, that I learned because I mean, 
I think, especially in the fast-moving industry like tech, where things are changing on the daily basis, if you are not really open to, you know, learn and have that mental agility to kind of um, change your course and so forth, uh, you can get uh, very quickly uh, left behind, um, and you know, then you close yourself, and your little island on which you are standing is getting smaller and smaller. And that kind of learning uh, openness to feedback, it's another another big thing that I learned over my career, being humble, just <laughs> knowing you can be disrupted and, and keep learning and keep trying. That's that's actually real virtue um, in, in business and career. Definitely. I see David nodding. I think he would yeah. agree. 100%. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Well, thank you so much. Um, and in closing, Ivan, how can our audience find you? Yeah, so um, I, I'm, I actually don't use a lot of social media, but I'm avid user of LinkedIn. So if um, people just search my first name, I-V-A-N, my last name, O-S-T-O-J-I-C, on LinkedIn and Infobip um, attached to that, I think it's easy to find my profile and then they can hit me up and we can continue this conversation. Oh, perfect. And, you know, before you go, before we all go, um, we want to tell the audience just a little bit about OmniIQ. We mention it every week. Um, there's a QR code. You can also go to bdex.com to check it out. But you simply upload a CSV list and you can get analytics on your audience. Complimentary no credit card for at least three segments, right, David? Birth year, gender, household income. Um, I did a quick demo earlier. David, thanks for showing up on my page. So you can check that out and, um, you know, learn a little bit about your audience. And one thing I didn't mention, I guess, is AI is available. You can expand your audience within OmniIQ. So um, just think of, you know, using AI to understand your audience and build your audience. Anything you want to add on that, David? No, that's it. That's perfect. Um, you know, it's the the ability to take your first party data um, and analyze it and build an audience of consumers that look just like them. Um, and the ability to do that pretty much anywhere across the EdTech ecosystem. Once we build that audience, we can push it wherever you need to go. So uh, check it out and uh, tell us what you think. We're always adding new features uh, almost every two weeks. So, Yes, it's awesome. And so we would love to hear from our listeners too. So do you have someone that you think we should interview as a guest on Deconstructing Data? Or are there specific topics you would like to hear us cover? Share your qualitative data with us so we can make this a great show for you. You can reach us at info at bdex.com. And thank you so much for joining Deconstructing Data again. And thank you, Ivan, for joining us. It was a pleasure to be our guest. Thank you for hosting me. Absolutely. Thanks again, Ivan. Thank you.